Welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. For those of you who are returning, welcome back. So glad to have you back with us because we have another great guest. You know we have just the best guests. I'm so honored by the men and women who come and chat with us. We have a new author this week or new to the podcast. And for those of you who are here for the first time, checking us out. Welcome. We're so glad to have you here. I hope that you find lots to interest you here and that you learn a lot about different authors and different books and find lots of great reading here. Please subscribe to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform so that you can stay in touch with us and that you know when new episodes release, which is just about every week. Also, find Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. I think that's all the places that we are. And join the conversation over there. That's another great way to keep in touch with us. Finally, if you would take a minute and hop on over to my website, liztolsma.com, and click on one of the more recent podcasts, you'll find information about my Patreon over there. And... For just a small amount of money, you can help to support us, even if it's just one time or if it's ongoing. Lots of great perks that you get for that. And I would love to have you be a part of Christian Historical Fiction Talk over there and that you would support this ministry. We are ministering to other Christian historical fiction authors and helping them get their word out about their terrific books. All right. Time for our guest. And as I mentioned, she is a first time guest here on the podcast. I love talking to new people and getting to chat with new authors, learning about them and what makes them tick and what interests them. And it's so interesting because I very often find out we have a lot in common. And I found that with Kimberly Duffy, who is our guest this week. And you'll hear us talking about that in the interview. And we had a great conversation even before we pressed play. So it's a lot of fun to get to chat with her. And so please help me to welcome Kimberly Duffy to the podcast this week. And she is here to talk about her new novel, The Weight of Air. Welcome to the show today, Kimberly. It is so good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited about talking to you. But before we get into your book, The Weight of Air, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a, I was going to say I'm a stay-at-home mom, but I'm not a stay-at-home mom anymore. I'm a work-from-home mom. I'm, I've been a stay-at-home mom for 18, over 18 years. I'm a mom of four. I homeschool. I've been married for 23 years. And I live in Southern Ohio, but I am from New York. So when people say, where are you from? I say New York because you can't take it out of me. <laughs> but I, I love history and travel and cooking and books and God, not in that order. <laughs> that all sounds great. I, we were talking before we got started here. We have a lot in common. And I was going to ask you before we started, because I heard the New York in you. My parents yeah. are from New Jersey, and so I could pick oh, that up in a yeah. second. <laughs> I knew yeah, you were not out, originally from It comes up sometimes in, in conversation. <laughs> Most of my accent's pretty like mellow now, so I've been in Ohio so long, but every once in a while you mm -hmm. hear a word. Yeah. 
So your new book is The Weight of Air, which the title got me right away. And then I started reading the book and I was really hooked. So why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about The Weight of Air? Sure. I can't take credit for the title. That had nothing to do. I'm so bad at titles. <laughs> they never <laughs> use any of them. So that was all my editor. But it is a great title. Um, yeah. it, the Weight of Air is about a circus strongwoman named Mabel McGinnis, who before the book starts, her father has just died. And she was raised in the circus and she she did a show with him. They had kind of a father-daughter act. He was a strong man. And she finds herself unable to continue working without his presence. She's leaned on him her entire life. She has a lot of insecurity about her ability to keep working. And she is just beset by such awful stage fright. So she ends up losing her job and discovering that the mother she thought had died when she was a child actually left her and her father and moved to New York. So she decides that she's going to go search for her mother since discovering this. And she goes, she, the book starts in France, I think is the, I can't remember. There's so many places in the beginning of the book, <laughs> but somewhere in Europe in the beginning. And then um, <laughs> there's some scenes set in Italy. And then her and her friend, Jake, who is a really good friend of her father's, he's an acrobat with the circus. They head across the ocean to New York to look for her mother. And this is such a unique, different idea. And I, just said this a couple of weeks ago when I interviewed Elizabeth Camden for her book. You have a unique vocation for your, especially your heroine. And I love books that have heroines with unique vocations. Where did the idea for writing a book about a circus strong woman ever come from? I think the reason why most of my heroines have unique vocations, I think it's because I've been at home my entire adult life. Like I've been a stay-at-home mom. And so I think it's just kind of like living vicariously through them, like all these interesting things that I never got to do. I'm going to make my characters do it. <laughs> but I was listening to a podcast called The History Chicks. And I spent a lot of time in the car because I have four kids and I'm driving all over the place. And homeschooling doesn't mean you're ever at home. You're never at home when you're homeschooling. (laughs) So we do a lot of like living history curriculum and we kind of follow a Charlotte Mason philosophy of education. So we don't really use textbooks. So for history, we listen to a lot of podcasts and watch documentaries and read living books and like um, source material and biographies. And so I was listening to a History Chicks episode about Katie Sandwina, who is a turn of the century strong woman, circus strong woman. And I was so fascinated by her story. I listened to the podcast twice and I just loved her. I mean, this was going back like three or four years. And I I remember after I listened to the podcast, I went to the gym later that night and I was working out and I was like complaining and stuff to my husband because I hate working out. And I was like, well, she was so strong. Like she, she was literally the strongest person, like let alone woman. She, she beat this guy named Sandow. That's where she got her name. It was a derivative of that. And she took that name after she beat him in a lifting competition, but she was just an amazing woman. She was a suffragette. She kind of organized like this suffrage group in the circus she married a man that she actually, there's a scene in the book. I kind of took her experience and I don't, so I don't want to say it, but she married this man and they had like decades long marriage, happy marriage, produced two children. After she retired from the circus, she opened up a restaurant and just fun stories about her. And I just fell in love with her. So I thought, what a cool, just what a cool story and just like a neat thing to do. You know, people don't typically hear about strong women, you know, especially during that time. So I just thought it would be a fun thing to explore. And it was a fun thing to read about because like I said, it was so different from anything that I had ever read. So 
what was your research like beyond listening to the podcast? How did you go about researching a book? Because not as only is it about a strong woman, but as you mentioned, Jake is an acrobat and mm -hmm. It turns out that Mabel's mother is an aerialist, a trapeze artist. Mm -hmm. So there had to be a lot of research into how all that worked. Well, how did you do all that? Thankfully, I love to research. It's one of my favorite parts of this job. So I read a bunch of books. I ordered a bunch off like eight books and eBay. And I read through those and I watched a ton of, I watched a ton of YouTube videos. There are actually really cool videos of early 1900s aerialists and acrobatics, just like 1920s, 1930s. And so I watched a ton of those. I read a lot of interviews with circus performers. I, I found, oh my goodness, Barnum and Bailey actually kept really great records. So I found like all their like lists of like what goes in each of the cars on the train and where they were on this day and how much time they spent. And that's actually why I decided to set it at Madison Square Garden. I learned that they, they would kick off their season every year at Madison Square Garden. They would spend a month there. So I thought, well, that's kind of really cool, especially because I'm from New York. So I decided to do that. So yeah, I did do a lot of research and you know, writing historical fiction, most of it does not end up in the book. So now I have all these like random details in my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. I, not to take away from your book, but uh, this was a number of years ago. I wrote a novella set on a circus train about mm -hmm. the Ringling Brothers circus before they joined Barnum and Bailey. But that was really cool. I live not too far from the Circus World Museum in mm -hmm. Baraboo, Wisconsin. And so yeah. the librarian there pulled the actual logbooks from, uh -huh. forget if it was 1897, 1898 year. And it was really cool to read where they were, what they were doing. Like you said, they kept very detailed records. And yeah. so it's, it's fairly easy to go back and find that. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a cool subject to really dig into and research. It was a very interesting life that those people yeah. lived. Yeah, it was a like a microcosm of a society. Like just so, I mean, they were all like, it was like a family, you know, like dysfunctional, like family can be. Um, <laughs> sure. But, I mean, they all kind of traveled together and lived together. And I just, it, it kind of gave the opportunity to read some really cool stories. Yeah. As I was reading through the book, when I found out it was about a strong woman, I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get behind a heroine who's a strong woman. Not mm -hmm. only is she strong, but she's also quite tall. Mm -hmm. And yet you managed to make her a very appealing feminine heroine. How mm -hmm. did you work that dichotomy there? When I decided I was going to set the book in New York, I started thinking about my grandmother, who was a first-generation Italian. She grew up in Little Italy area of New York in the tenements. She was born in 1917. Her parents came over right before she was born, and she was the youngest of, I think, like 12 kids. I mean, there were so many kids. And she was six, almost six foot tall, and she was an absolutely stunning woman. I know that I'm, you know... I'm her granddaughter, but still, she was really a beautiful woman and just very feminine, taller than most of the men of her day. You know, I mean, she was born at the, you know, right after the turn <laughs> of the century. So I decided I wanted to make Mabel, I kind of wanted to fashion her a little bit after my grandmother in that way. I just kind of honor my grandmother. Also, my grandmother's husband, my grandfather was shorter than her. 
So I just thought that that was, and I always like to turn things on their head, you know? And so I mm-hmm. thought that that would be kind of an interesting take on romance. And I wanted to explore what that would look like. I always typically write female characters who have very like strong personalities or very driven, but I didn't want to make Mabel. And I think that would have been kind of like the likely scenario was write her, you know, she's a strong woman she's tall and she's muscular and write her as having kind of a more masculine personality. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to create a character who was really complex and well-rounded and three-dimensional. And uh, Katie Sandwina, who I referenced earlier, she, even though she was very tall and strong and muscular, she loved fashion. And there were stories about her like painting her nails and wearing amazing hats and shoes. So I just thought that was really interesting. And I want to explore what femininity looks like in all its different presentations and how it can't be, it can't be just like boiled down to just this one type of woman is the feminine woman, you know? And I wanted to kind of explore what that would look like. I think you did a great job of it. And I loved the descriptions of the fashions that Mabel wore Mm -hmm. because I really got a good picture of her and it did make her much more feminine. Mm -hmm. I could picture her as more feminine and you're right. It doesn't always look like, you know, little petite five to a hundred pounds soaking wet woman for sure. For sure. Yep. Yep. And my oldest daughter is five foot nine and she always complains about how tall she is, you know? And I always (laughs) kind of felt like that in high school. I'm not as tall as her. I'm only five, six, but I always felt I was never a small person, you know, in high school Mm -hmm. when everybody's like real tiny and petite and I never fit that. And I always felt like such like a lumbering sort of person next to all my (laughs) tiny little friends. And, you know, I've since made peace with, you know, my, I I call my Hungarian potato farmer calves. (laughs) 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 I made peace with that, but I wanted to write a character who a lot of women could identify with. And sometimes, especially in the earlier days of, you know, Christian fiction, I never identified with these very petite, tiny sort of feminine women. Right. Well, your daughter and my daughter can talk because my daughter's five one and three quarters. She always reminds me, <laughs> and she would love to be five nine. So, <laughs> the book also contains a marriage of convenience trope, mm-hmm. but you do make it fresh. You've kind of alluded to it a little bit. How did you go about making something that's been done? multiple times. How did you make that fresh? I don't know. I didn't set out to make it fresh. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I wanted to write a marriage of convenience because it's one of my favorite romantic tropes. And I knew that Jake wouldn't ever marry again (laughs) unless he had to, because he was in the beginning of the book, he's still very much in love with his dead wife. Um, And he's also very much sticking his head in the sand about what their marriage looked like. He wants nothing to do with the circus. And Mabel's entire life is the circus. She has no intention of like doing anything else unless she's forced to, you know? And so if she has the opportunity again to work for the circus, she's going to take it. And I knew I needed to do something that would force them into that situation. So I decided that that would be a great opportunity for me to write a marriage of convenience. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really set out to like write a fresh take on it. I wanted it to be two broken people who end up falling in love, but still have to deal with their baggage. And you also, along with A Marriage of Convenience, you deal with a lot of tough, tough Mm -hmm. topics. How do you deal with such heaviness and darkness and keep it from becoming too oppressive? I read a book a few years ago that was very popular. It was not a Christian fiction book, but it was general market. 
And I read it and the writing was so beautiful and I was just absorbed. I mean, I read it. It was a very long book. I read it in less than two days and I, I read to like three in the morning both nights. <laughs> it was so good. And it, it had, you know, there were heavier topics and themes and I got to the end and I was like, never again will I read this author. This is the most hopeless book I've ever read in my life. And I'm still thinking about that book like, oh my goodness, it was so hopeless. And I hate that. I hate books that end with hopelessness, you know? And so I I don't write lighthearted books. So if you're looking for a lighthearted book, you probably should not pick up mine. But I do write books that I feel as though tell the stories of women, of people who live in a broken world. And our stories aren't always easy and beautiful and lovely and straightforward, you know? But as a Christian, I believe that they always have hope. And that's what I try to do in my books. You know, even though my characters are dealing with some really heavy things and hard things, there's always hope in there. And most of my books, All Better Tapestry Light, they don't really have heavy faith themes. You know, like the faith arc, they're a little more subtle. Mm -hmm. But I feel as though my books are kind of saturated with the hope of Christ. And that's what I hope I, I can do is take these really heavy situations that people experience and give them a reason to hope. Yeah, for sure. And you can really feel it in the book. Like you said, it's not slap you in the face, but it is definitely there and it is beautiful. And and I loved it. Very well done. Thank you. You mentioned that you love history. It's one of your big loves. Mm -hmm. What is it about history that draws you to that subject? You know, I started reading my first historical fiction book was actually a classic novel. When I was 10 years old, my brother gave me a copy of The Secret Garden. Um, for Christmas. Oh, I love that one. And I, so I spent the next, you know, all through elementary school, middle school, high school reading classic novels. And then, you know, I discovered historical fiction and started reading those in high school. And I've always loved old things and things with stories. And I think that we can learn so much from the stories of the past. And I think that it can shed a light on our very modern situations and experiences, and maybe in a less threatening way than writing about something so for instance, I, and this is one of the, one of the things that happens in the book. It's kind of like an underlying theme. I struggled with postpartum OCD and depression with each of my kids. So the first two postpartum OCD, the second two were postpartum depression. And I feel as though writing about it from a historical perspective kind of gives us the opportunity to look at those experiences in a less threatening way than if it were a modern experience, like something that was so closely related to my own. Very well said. And I'm glad that you have overcome that. And it sounds like you're doing great now. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I was preparing for this interview and scrolling through your Instagram and found that you love to travel. And we were talking about this before we came on the air. Yes. Name us some of the places that you've been. What's your favorite place? And I already know, I think, what you're going to say. What's your least favorite? <laughs> okay. <laughs> my travel, my tra love of travel started when I was 15 and I went to Ukraine on a mission trip. And I was there for two weeks. And then I went to India after high school and I lived there for a while. It's where I met my husband. And then I've been back to India. I've been to Nepal. And then recently we took our kids to Portugal, Albania, and Greece. I've been to like Canada, of course. I've been all over mm -hmm. this country. My favorite place, okay, if you take India out of the equation, because India will always have my heart. India is my mm -hmm. most favorite place in the world. But I think it's unfair to say India is my favorite. It's unfair to the other countries because it's my favorite because of my experiences and because of the relationships I developed there. 
So I have to take India out of the equation. But outside of India, my favorite place is Barat, Albania, which is one of the coolest places I've ever been to in my entire life. Um, it's it's a town. It's called the nickname is the City of a Thousand Windows, and it's not it's not really been dis- discovered by Western tourists, so it's very under the radar. It is a ancient ancient city. It's gorgeous. So you go and there's like mountains and a river cutting through and there's these medieval kind of through Victorian age white buildings and they're all fronted by just these windows everywhere. Everywhere you look is windows, windows, windows. And then there's a there's a mountain and you can climb it and there's still this like remnants of this medieval castle and it used to actually be ancient Roman castle but um, medieval castle. So the walls are still there and then the buildings are still there and there's still restaurants and little shops built inside the walls of the castle. And you can, it's not like in Europe where if there's a castle, you have to like stay off it, you know, like you can climb all over it and peek through the windows. And we walked into where they had like, like the dungeon, you know, like we're kind of walking around with my kids and they were running around and it is just the coolest place. It's just gorgeous. And I like to travel and I don't mind traveling to places where there are a lot of tourists, but I really do prefer kind of getting off the beaten track. So that I would say is my very favorite place I've ever been. I have really good memories there with my kids. I mean, sitting in the castle walls and like just this little kitten walking up to my son and him holding us having the best meal and, you know, meeting others for like this family from Britain in our kind of like, it's like it was a guest house and just the nicest people on the planet. Like so kind. We love it. I would go back in a heartbeat. My least favorite part of city or <laughs> country right now is it's Greece, but that's also unfair because we had a really bad experience that brought us there and it was a very stressful, trying week. And I would like to try to go back to Greece again one day, but I probably won't go to Thessaloniki or Athens. I'd probably go to one of the islands and, and try to avoid having to deal with that whole thing again. <laughs> Right, right. And we were talking about how our experiences in these countries and what brings us there and what happens to us there can color it because Thessaloniki is one of my favorite places in the whole world. So just very funny how that is for sure. Yep. So yeah. I really, really hope that you are working on something else. And can you tell us what that is if you are? Sure. I'm actually working on two different things. So while I was traveling with my family, I was working on a historical fiction novel that I was very excited about. And then all this, I mean, it was seriously, it's been the most stressful year of our life as a family. I found I couldn't write. It was proving too difficult to write in the middle of all of that. And the story was about a woman who travels. And I, when we came home and our trip had been canceled very suddenly and all these like kind of dreams we had for all the, all these years, and we dreamt of doing this and it was just kind of like dust at our feet. I was like, I can't write this. Like, I just can't do it. So my agent suggested I write something completely different. So I'm actually halfway through writing a contemporary romance and it's been a lot of fun. I don't know what's going to happen with it. It will be published in some form or another. I don't know if we're going to shop it or if I'll indie publish it. I can write contemporary romance pretty quickly. So I don't mind continuing to do one or so of those a year, but I will be going back to my historical as soon as I finish this one up and get it to my agent. I'll be going back to that story I was originally working on. Uh, I'd really like to finish it. I I love the idea of the book. It does not have a home yet though. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens with all of that. Okay. So if the listeners would like to keep in touch with you so that they find out when these books release, Mm -hmm. how can they go about connecting with you? My newsletter subscribers hear everything first. So you can find my newsletter sign up up on my website. It's www.kimberlyduffy.com. And then I'm pretty active on Instagram. 
So you can find me on Facebook, but I'm not super active there. I just feed my Instagram over to my Facebook, but I'm pretty active on Facebook. I love getting emails and messages from readers. So if you've liked any of my books, shoot me a message. And yeah, I'm over there pretty much every day. Oh, it's author Kimberly Duffy. <laughs> well, Kimberly, it has been wonderful getting to know you and to chat with you and to talk about the weight of air. And we just want to thank you for taking time out from your day and spending a little bit of it with us. Thanks for having me. It's been a joy. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I had so much fun talking to Kimberly, and we talked a lot about traveling and what are some fun places to go and how much fun it is to travel off the beaten path. So I would suggest following her on Instagram. If you do nothing else, sign up for her newsletter, but also follow her on Instagram. She has some great pictures and you can keep up with all of her travels. She, Lord willing, has a great trip planned for April that you're going to want to keep up with her. And so check that out. You can find links to her website on the show notes, which are on my website, liztolsma.com. So you can sign up for her newsletter, find all the links to her social media that way. Also, you will find out more about her. You will find out more about the weight of air. And there will also be a link there for you to be able to purchase the weight of air. So hop on over there and check that out. Next week, we have a returning guest. And I think this is like her third time here as well. We are starting our third year, getting into our third year of podcasting. So some of these guests are actually returning like for the third time, which is kind of cool. This is Jill Eileen Smith, and I always love talking to her. Her books are fabulous. She's a biblical fiction author, and she is out with a new one called Daughter of Eden. And I'm really looking forward to having her on. So please be sure to join us next week for our chat with Jill Eileen Smith about the Daughter of Eden. Thank you so much for your loyal support of Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I could not do any of this without you. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the podcast. If they love books, this is a great place for them to listen to their favorite authors and to get to meet new ones like Kimberly Duffy. I hope that you all have a terrific week and we will see you next time.